for new life. <laughs> um, if we could all stand and just pray really quick over um, today's service, just this Sunday that God would move. Thank you, Jesus, God, for bringing us together, God. I thank you, God, that you woke every single person up in this room, Jesus, and that we're able to enter your gates with praise and thanksgiving, God. And we're so grateful, Jesus, God, that you're going to move today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may all be seated. <laughs> so today I am going to be... Um, teaching to you all. Um, to begin with, uh, I go to a college in Missouri called Urshan College. It's a Bible college. And um, during my first year, uh, we had this class called Intro to Pentecostal Theology. And this older gentleman would teach us. His name was Brother Norris. And every morning, because this was an 8 a.m. class, oh my goodness, too early, um, I will definitely say there was a few times I was late, um, but <laughs> uh, I remember he would um, he would read the Psalms to us every every morning, and um, there was this one morning in particular that I remember the Psalms so viv vividly. He would tell us to um, close our eyes, and I, I won't make you do that, but he would tell us to close our eyes, and then he would read the Psalms, and sometimes he would just have it memorized, other times. Um, he would flip through his pages and read, but today I wanted to read Psalms 22. And if you could just imagine sitting in the classroom with me and this older gentleman lifting up his voice in a very calm man manner, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I call out by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest nor quiet. But you are holy, O oh you who are enthroned in the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not disappointed or ashamed. But I am a worm and not a man. I am the scorn of men and despised by the people. All who see me laugh at me and mock me. They open their lips. They shake their head and saying, he trusted and committed himself to the Lord. Let him save him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. I remember this morning very vividly when he said these things. Then he began to um, speak to us because the spirit was just moving in our classroom. Very, um, if you guys know when the spirit just moves in a very peaceful, peace, peaceful way, and it's just peace. That's how God was moving. Um, so what I'm speaking, teaching on today um, is lament. Lamenting. It's spelled A-L-A-M-E-N-T, because I may not be saying that right, <laughs> but lament. Um, and to memorize that, there's a book, Lamentation, so lament. Um, pain is a reoccurring thing. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds in life. Um, we all have different stories, but one thing that the church can agree on, other than the goodness of God, is the pain that we experience. 
Um, to lament is to mourn, to grieve, to weep or wail, to express sorrow. It's kind of like the biblical word for pain. Um, we see lamenting in jo Job. Uh, the first time that Job laments in the book of Job is um, chapter 3. Uh, in verse 1, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born in the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. And then verse 11 says, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Now, um, I believe that we've all experienced this feeling at one point in our life or another. Not constantly. I mean, if you're dealing with this consecutively, reach out to somebody. But we've experienced this. And, you know, I, I love the book of Job because uh, just the pain that he's expressing in these verses is so real. Whether you're going through something or not, you can just feel his heart. You can feel his heart aching. You can feel him um, that lament that he has, that sadness, that mourning. Um, so uh, in my Old Testament class, uh, we talked about this book for three hours straight, actually. <laughs> um, so my professor was explaining to us that Job had friends. And if you've ever read the bo book of Job, um, his friends weren't very good friends. In fact, they ended up leaving him. That was another one of Job's heartaches is his friends that he trusted in, that he had great conversations with, they left him. Um, and one thing that my professor taught me is his friends had to prove that Job did something horrible since Job was living a righteous life and things were happening to him. So in their minds, it didn't make sense. This man is living a righteous life, or so he says, but all these things are happening. So in their minds, they had to understand it better. They had to come up in their minds, well, obviously, Something is not right in his life. He's sinning. He's not righteous. But Job was a very righteous man, probably more righteous than all of his friends. But in their minds, they had to find understanding. And that's an important point is um, the Bible talks about not leaning on our own understanding. And I would say about 90% of life, even though I'm only 21 going on 22, and I'm super young and haven't experienced a fourth of my life yet, um, understanding is... It can be given by God, but there's something special when we aren't giving un given understanding, but we're only given the opportunity to trust God. Um, another thing that my professor said is, man-made religion is always manipulated, so God gives them what they want. And, and Job's friends, they, they tried to manipulate the system, tried to, tried to understand it themselves, because in their minds, well, I want to be blessed in Job's life. Everything is being taken away. So, you know, they, they tried to understand. But man-made religion will always manipulate God so they get something. Um, they were trying to mark off their list that um, Job did something. Okay, so we got to get him out of our life. He was living unrighteously, which, again, was not true. Job 29 and... Four, um, Job chapter 29 through 42 is the second time he was in the process of um, his lamentation. He was grieving once again. 
Um, again, we've all gone through grieving in one way or another. You don't have to, um, well, some, some of you may have lost a loved one, or it may not just be that, but, you know, other situations where you grieve. You don't necessarily have to lose a life in order to grieve. It can be different situations. Um, so, again, he's, he's grieving. And that's another thing is that when, when you're grieving, it comes in waves. So, you know, we have to allow ourselves to feel those waves of, of, of grieving. Um, some important things to notice is Job continually addresses himself to God, not his friends. Now, um, another thing that I've realized is that as humans, um, God built us with expression. And one of those expressions is talking. So one way or another, we are going to talk, whether it be through prayer or whether it be through friends. And friends are a God-given thing, but I've noticed a lot of life is about balance. So if we don't have a prayer life, but we're always going to our friends to confide um, to them about what we're going through, you have an imbalance there. You're, petition you're almost petitioning your friends to have empathy, but you're not petitioning God to help you. God is the one who can do something. So we should talk to him more than we talk to others. And amen. And, and I realize that's harder said than done because, you know, I mean, if you, you think about it, I mean, you get down on your knees and you start praying and, and then you close your eyes and you just listen for God and there's nothing. But with a friend, you have uh, that constant reply. So it does get hard, but we have to keep that faith that he is listening, that he catches every single tear that we have. Yes. So, Job, in this um, pain and suffering, he has no other choice but to be authentic in prayer. He was probably authentic before all this happened, but after it happened, I can't imagine the pouring out. And that's another thing about um, grieving and um, that lamenting is that it's a, it's, um, if you ever felt something in the pit of your stomach, when God's spirit is moving, or maybe you're not in a service and you just feel something in the pit of your stomach and it just has to pour out. And, and if you've never um, poured that out and, and if you've had that feeling of grief in your stomach, that, that's, that's the inner part of you wanting to cry out to God. God gave us that natural desire to cry out to him. Um, another thing my professor said, he said, uh, prayer. It won't get you out of trouble, but it will get you through trouble. And, and another thing that I've realized is that, you know, pain that we go through, a lot of times it's to teach us something. And, and too many times we try to run away from pain. We try to, we try to find the, the, um, the least narrow option, even though the word of God says we, we should seek that narrow option. And a lot of people go through the big doors, but there, there's, there's that one way that God tries to push us towards, but we want, we want this way because it's easier. But, but then we're not being molded the way that we should. We're not being purified by fire because we decided to jump out of the fire. And that, that not only affects us, yes, we can be comfortable in that, but I've also learned that that affects others around us, how we treat others. Because, you know, when you go through something and, for example, you go through something and you learn that, you know, um, you should be more kind to people, kindness. 
then you're going to give that to others. But if you jumped out at the fire before God could ever give you that fruit of the Spirit, then you're going to do the opposite of that. You're not going to treat people with kindness because you never obtained that fruit. Fruit is something to be obtained. The fruit of the Spirit, I, I used to laugh because, you know, this year God has really taught me the fruit of the Spirit. And I was like, oh, yeah, patience. And I was like, we'll start there. And I started praying for patience. And if I have one piece of advice, is let that be the last thing you pray for, <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it is the hardest thing to learn. <laughs> um, and it takes a long time because God's got to teach you patience. But those things we have to obtain, and although they're so simple and we learn them in um, Sunday school when we were younger, or we've just heard of the, about them in passing, they, they are hard to obtain, but they're so necessary. I find that God, God is found in the simplest things. You know, this world is always updating itself, and everybody's, you know, always getting new things and doing this and that, but God's in the simplicity. God's still at the altar. God's still at churches like this one. He doesn't change. He doesn't need to update. When we are in circumstances that are completely out of, out of our control, it builds our character and it makes us trust God. It makes us trust God. And that's why it's very important not to walk away too soon because you forfeit what God is doing in your life. And all, although, like, you can, you, you can, you know, back away from what that true will of God is, there's things that he could have done in your life in that time that he needed to do in that time, you know. And God, God will always bring you back, but know that in that time you did miss. Time is such a precious thing. You miss that period of time, that couple minutes at the altar, where you looked around and you saw a body of believers crying in the presence of God. Moments like that are important. And it shows you the kingdom of God. And, and you, you could have, I don't know, 25 people at this altar. It's, it's one of the most phenomenal experiences. You could have 25 people at this altar. And again, I wasn't raised in church, so it's not like, you know, anybody's telling me to say all this stuff. But... 25 people at this altar and you just look around you see them weeping and although there's millions of people in the world you see the kingdom of God at this altar and you can pass by millions of people and 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 um, experience thousands of others but seeing something so much bigger than the rest of this world just at this altar and in this church is something amazing something that we should seek after so, back to um, laminating. Again, I may not be saying that right. So, <laughs> um, laminating is a product of pain being expressed. So, if you guys didn't know, I'm actually going to college to be a counselor. So, I've actually learned a lot about um, how humans work and everything. But it's cool because I'm going to a Bible college. So, they teach me through a biblical aspect and not a worldly one. Um, so, again, another thing that I've realized is that when you get older, it's harder to cry. At least for me, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's for everybody, but it's harder to tap into different things because you get so busy, you know? Like, like I, I, I started to think at one point, like, I don't have time to cry. <laughs> I, I don't have time to sit down and cry right now. Like, I just need to, 
I just need to pray really quick and, and, and just like leap past what I'm feeling. And then like, I, I can check off the list that I was in the presence of God, but I didn't really even let God heal me or mend me or, or work in me. So laminating, another expression that I like to use for it, it, it's expressing yourself, but expressing yourself to God. And that is important. Um, another thing my professor brought up, he said, we have forgotten how to lament. We've forgotten how to. Again, who needs to cry? I, I work a full-time job. I, uh, many of you have kids. I don't have kids yet, but many of you have kids. It's something that we, we leap over that step. Um, and feeling is not bad. And emotions are, are God-given. Somebody brought up to me, because you know, this kind of blew my, blew my mind, and I, I didn't even realize this at first, but the shortest uh, verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Weeping is a feeling. Jesus was sad. Jesus flipped tables. That's an emotion. He was angry. I'm not saying that any of you should flip tables. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but realize that Jesus was the perfect man, yet he expressed motions. And if that doesn't give you permission to feel, then nothing will. So, so with just that, it's okay to express yourself but express yourself biblically and express yourself in the presence of God. That's why you see people, you know, they'll, they'll be angry or this and that, and then they go into the presence of God, and everything just changes. They come out, and they're a brand-new person. You're like, oh, you're nice now, you know? <laughs> That's what my mom says when I get in the presence of God. <laughs> um, so one of the biggest questions. Um, I actually had somebody message me this past week, which was cool because this was a part of my teaching. And I also had um, my cousin ask me this a few years ago and other people as well. And I've heard the question over and over, and all of us can relate to this. This is one of my biggest points today. Um, why does God allow pain in our lives if he loves us? It's the question of a lifetime. I remember um, the commercial, uh, how many licks does he get to the, uh, to the center of the Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. <laughs> but I hope that I have somewhat of an answer for you today. Um, with Brother Jim, uh, this summer he actually taught me how to teach a Bible study, but in the process, if you've ever spoken to Brother Jim, um, in conversation, you will end up learning something. <laughs> and I learned a lot from him. Um, one of the... Uh, one of the times that he was teaching me uh, to give a Bible study, he actually had me teach him a Bible study, which was absolutely intimidating. And we were talking about the Garden of Eden and sin. And he ended up teaching me, actually. <laughs> and it was awesome. But he taught me how sin messed up everything. It's important to notice that in the Garden of Eden, there was not just one tree. There was two trees. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which they bit of, and then there was the tree of life. They had a choice between the two trees. So when they bit of the tree um, of the knowledge of good and evil, everything was changed. Things started to age. Um, all the curses were brought up of childbirth and the land being cursed. Sin changed everything. And at that moment, um, time began to roll and this earth started to fade away just then. And it's still fading away. 
and and sin causes our world to uh, slowly perish. Um, the more we in this world perish, the more bad and unfair things are bound to happen. I mean, if you think about it, every everything that's happening in our world, and it's not just, you know, grown-ups dealing with grown-ups things, but now it's kids dealing with grown-up things. And, and, and that sin is creeping into the most innocent crevices that we have. And it's sad. You, you can see it if you just open your eyes. This world is perishing. It just is. Um, Psalms 34 and 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 3 says, There's a time for everything, and it lists everything. I remember, if you guys have ever heard uh, of the song Wait on the Lord, my favorite part is when they start singing, He's ordering, He's ordering my steps. And I remember singing that part in very hard times in my life, and I would sing that part while tears were just flowing down my cheeks. And I would, I would pray and be like, He's ordering even these steps of pain because He's ordering those steps toward, towards heaven. And that, that's worth it. That is worth it. Um, this, this grief that we pour out to God, it's important because um, this limiting is, is important because it recognizes that this world is not right or perfect. Ha, have you ever felt so much pain that, um, not even felt so much pain, but you feel pain and being a believer, you step into the presence of God. And it's not an attitude check now. It, it, it's a release um, it, it's an ache that you're releasing out to God. Um, and you go from feeling pain to feeling freedom. You go from being in um, the stickiness of your situation, and then you are now free. And you just, I mean, again, it doesn't make sense because, you know, you may be seeing people up here crying at the altar, and you're like, they're crying, but they're releasing something. And if, if you haven't had that experience, you know, I thank you for coming today because, you know, I believe that you're going to have that experience where you're just sitting there and you feel overwhelmed in your heart with something that's urging you to just cry out. And then God will sweep in and he will do something that's kind of unexplainable that only God can do. Lamenting is recognizing pain, but also recognizing your future home. So heaven. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Matthew 6, 19, verses 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and, and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20 says, But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Heaven is a prize, God-given. And this earth is filled with possessions. Now, realize this distinction. So over here, we have, we have heaven, and over here, we have possessions on this earth. This is God-given. Heaven is God-given. And possessions is man-gathered. There is a difference the word of God says that he's preparing a place for us. So just to encourage somebody today, in his silence, just think, oh, he's silent. He's probably, you know, 
um, getting the cement down for my mansion in heaven. It's okay. He, he's preparing something for me. I know he's silent, but he's working on something greater for me. You know, we, we take God's silence as, you know, he, he doesn't love us or he, he you, you know, because it, it's easy to be out of the situation, out of the pain and be like, oh, yeah, God was silent. He was doing something. But when you're in the pain, it's hard. Like, you, you know, I, I read Psalms earlier and those things were insane. What he was saying that he feels like a worm. You feel like a worm. And, you know, if you're out of the pain, it's like you feel like a worm. But when you've been in that pain or you're in that pain, you're like, yeah, I feel like a worm. And that's how your trials and situations will, will make you feel. And again, with limiting, it, it reminds you that that pain that you feel on this earth is recognizing how much sin has done to this earth and how much destruction it has done. But then you get into the presence of God and you, you get just that taste of heaven. And you know everything's going to be okay because you have that blessed assurance. And, you know, um, one of my coworkers uh, this weekend, he, he came up to me. He was teasing me about teaching this Sunday. And um, him and I were talking, and we were just talking about the Holy Ghost and getting into heaven because um, the Word of God says that you have to be born again. And, and he, he talks about, you know, he was like, you know, there's some people that say, you know, so if you're telling me I need the Holy Ghost to get into heaven— what happened to those people that, you know, died and they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost, like, you know, my family? And, and you know, the response to that is, well, I don't, I don't know where your family is. That, that judgment is up to God. And then we start talking, we're like, well, if people, you know, refuse the Holy Ghost, they're pretty much saying, well, eternity, let's flip a coin and see if I get into heaven. Maybe I'll get into heaven, maybe I won't. I mean, who wants, you know, because the Holy Ghost, it, it is a weird thing. You're speaking another language. It gets kind of loud in here during altar calls. You don't know what's going on. People, people are raising their hands. People are dancing. But that, that's, that's such a sign of surrender. That, you know, another thing that Brother Jim taught me is that when, when we speak in tongues, we're speaking the heavenly language. So that means, for example, like I went to the country of Bangladesh a few years ago. Their um, language is um, Bengali, something like that. <laughs> and um, they speak a whole other language over there. That, that's their, their home. That's where they live. So when we're speaking in tongues, we are getting ready to go home. We are learning the language of home, and that's why we speak in tongues. And that's why it doesn't make sense to some, because it's like, okay, you're speaking in tongues. But I'm speaking in tongues because this is not my home, and I'm on my way home. One apostle said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and that was good for him, and it should be good for us. We should speak in tongues constantly constantly because we need to prepare our tongue to be in heaven and that's why we dress the way our, we dress and walk the way we walk because we're getting ready to go to heaven therefore i need to be prepared i need to be packed up so i remember in one time in my life this was actually before my trip to bangladesh and these things were just happening that were just you know kind of you know, you would think that if you're doing God's will, going on a mission trip overseas, that everything would be, you know, just perfectly fine. But things just, you know, were kind of busy, kind of crowded in my life. And I remember it was December. It was before my mission trip. And I remember God gave me this verse. And it was really special because I've never, I never read this verse before then. 
And God gave me the words, my grace is sufficient. So good old Google, I looked it up and said, okay, what's this verse? What's this verse about? And it wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, this is my favorite verse. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And those words, my grace is sufficient. And then after God gave me that verse, he spoke to me and he said, if I never blessed you again, would you still serve me? And that's a question that we ought to ask ourselves with some honesty. Because that's a heaven or hell issue. If God never blessed you, if God get, didn't give you that new car or that new house, or the bills weren't paid, or you didn't have any food on your table, would you still serve God? And you should make up your mind now because it's harder when God actually puts you through those things. I've been homeless. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. And it's much easier to obey and just listen and just listen to somebody else's testimony and obey rather than being stubborn and God having to take you through some things. But that's my favorite verse. We have to get to that point because, you know, to break down that little part is my grace is sufficient and his grace is sufficient because his grace saved us and his grace is going to get us into heaven. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And if heaven is not enough for us, then nothing will be. I had to ask myself the hard question. You know, we started doing that prayer that we do and pastor would get up here and he would start saying, people over here are getting blessed and people over here are getting blessed. And, and I was like, man, you know, God, when's, when's mine coming? <laughs> okay, you know, I'll raise my hand a little bit more when we pray this prayer and, you know, something's got to come, you know, just trying to almost find a key to bless. And then, again, God, God likes to ask me some really hard questions. And this was a while back, but he asked me, do you get more excited over a personal blessing than you do someone being saved? Like, man, what's my reaction when somebody gets baptized? Am I still talking? Am I, am I still fellowshipping really loud as somebody's life is being changed or somebody's being filled with the Holy Ghost, but I'm over here having a conversation with somebody that's very irrelevant compared to the kingdom of God? And that's just hard stuff, but I realized that if, if there is to be any personal growth, you have to ask yourself the hardest questions. And if you don't have any questions to ask yourself, then let God ask you those questions. And when you hear that convicting voice of God that asks you those hard questions, don't push it off and say, well, that's not God because that's not love. He chastises those who he loves. That's what he does. That's God. One of my friends, he, he told me, you know, um, one of the biggest things that we learn in Bible college is, is we have a Western way of thinking. So I'm not talking about cowboys. <laughs> um, that would make Pastor very happy if he was here. But um, I'm not talking about cowboys. But um, in the Bible times, things were done a lot differently. So it's like almost, for example, if we were to um, go to Europe, all of us go to Europe and try to change, like try to be American over there, it would be completely different so we 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 have to um think the way that the apostles thought 
We have to think that way in order to get what God was saying. Because, you know, if you, if you look up some words in English and translate them to Hebrew, because Hebrew was the original language of some of the Bible, it will mean something different. So, it, it, and that's, you know, one thing with, you know, Americans, you know, I, I love our country, but sometimes we just think, you know, in our mind frame and, and, and what we receive and, and, and what we translate through the scripture, but it's not about what we translate, it's what the author intended us to receive. Because if we were to read a book about, you know, um, something random, and, you know, we're like, yeah, I got this out of the book, but then we meet the author, and he's like, yeah, that's not at all what I was trying to say. We have to know the author in order to um, know the book. And that's why prayer, you know, we've been on this, this um, loop of prayer. That's why it's important to pray. That's why it's important to have the spirit because some things you'll, you'll read the scripture and you'll be thinking something and then God's like, wait, this is what I meant. It's important. So... Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is our reasonable service. It's reasonable. This is a good price. I mean, I don't like, I mean, I don't, I have school debt, I, you know, but some of you in this room probably have credit cards and mortgages and debt. And, um, you know, I was thinking about like, who would be happy to be in debt? Not really anybody, unless you're a millionaire, but even then, who wants their money taken away? But in this case, it's not money. This says it's our reasonable service. And I, all of us are kind of in debt to God. We owe God something. And I'm really glad that I'm in debt. I'm really glad, glad that I am because it saved me. You know, and, and, and some people, and before I say this, I'll just throw in this scripture. It says in Psalms 122 and 1, I was thinking about you, Bishop, when I, when I read this scripture. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad Many of you may not know my testimony, but about seven years ago, I was sitting in this middle section, and I told God that morning, if he didn't do something, that I would take my own life. That's where I was at mentally. And then I stood here with Brother Jim, and he prayed for me, and then I was baptized up there. So I'm not going to complain when I got to get up for church. I'm not going to come in here and say, well, it's another Sunday. I got to praise the Lord, and maybe I just won't praise the Lord this Sunday. That is not at all how the King of Kings should be served. And I'm sorry if that's hard facts, but that's facts. I will praise the Lord. We lift up our hands because it's a sign of surrender. We clap our hands because it, it sounds like chains breaking, and I, I need some chains broke. It's important to praise God. We owe God. And when we stop praising, we say, well, I'm going to stop paying those payments every month. He didn't do enough. So 
let's flip this question that some of us ask. If God loves me, why does so much happen? But remember, this is a covenant. So there's, there's two ways. There's two ways. If we love God like we say that we do, why do we do the same things over and over again? We've been on this um, replay of prayer. This pastor feels something. That means maybe some people have forsaken something that they shouldn't. The word of God is important. It's not just important, it's going to save you. And, and being saved is not just being filled with the Holy Ghost, it's growing. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is the beginning. Not the final say, it's the beginning of something. It's the beginning of a covenant. We, if we love God so much, then we need to pray. We need to fast. We need to read. We need to give more than we give to our jobs. Because that's what this is. This is serious stuff. This is. Every blessing that we receive should always come back to God and what he's done in our life. And it doesn't, if it doesn't give God glory, then I don't want it. Because it's not leading somebody else to Christ. It's not getting somebody else ready for heaven. And I don't want to be selfish with my blessings. I want to bless somebody else with my blessings. And to wrap this up, um, the integrity of this test. So, again, bringing back to Job, there, were, there was a, a test of integrity. Um, so the question that was asked is uh, pretty much, does God, um, excuse me, does Job serve God for nothing? Satan comes and he says, well, he has all this stuff. What, what, is it, what is this? And he's serving God. So that means he's serving God because he has all this stuff. Satan accuses God of bribing Job with the blessings that he has. But if, if Yahweh bribes, then he is unjust. So he's like, okay, you know what? God, God has so much confidence. He said, okay, I'm going to let you take away everything that he has. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, and, and Satan takes away everything. And, and as we know, Job had integrity and he, he never gave up. But my, my point in bringing up lamenting and grieving is the, the key part of this is he, Job let that lamenting turn into praise. Now, now when I was, um, again, right before I went on my mission trip to Bangladesh, I was probably in one of the darkest times in my life. And one thing that God said, I, I was just in my bed, I was just crying, and the lights were off, and I was just talking to God, and I was like, God, I feel hurt. I'm broken. And he said, you know what he said to me? He said, your pain can turn into a lot of things. It will turn into a lot of things. It will turn into anger. It will turn into envy. It will turn into strife. It will turn into bitterness. It will turn into unforgiveness. But he said, in my hands, it will turn into anointing. So the next time we feel pain, the next time you feel pain, and maybe that's today, know that if you don't turn it over to God, it will turn into something. It will turn into a beast that you can't control because we can't control sin. We have that power, then we become self-righteous, and that's a very dangerous place to be. So as we all stand... I'd like to pray a prayer of you specifically that if anybody in this room is grieving, if anybody in this room has come with pain, that they would feel something special today. 
And, and, and if you, church member, are in a place where everything is fine, I invite you to pray with me for that person, wherever they are. In Jesus' name, God, right now, God, God, I pray that you would touch whoever is in pain, God, whoever is broken today, Jesus. God, we, we may not be able to feel their pain, God, or, or know it right now, Jesus, God, but I pray that you would come down and you would make a way for them to feel you, Jesus, God, like we have felt you, God, and to receive that breakthrough, Jesus. And if they don't have the spirit, God, or, or the word of God or, or prayer in their life, God, I pray that you would embed it, Jesus. Convict us, God. We don't want to be pleased by the things of this world, God. But we want heaven to come and we want to get to heaven, Jesus. And after a while, all this will be over and we will be in a heavenly place with heavenly hosts, God. Therefore, we forsake everything behind us, God. We forsake materialistic things, Jesus, because we want to be with you in heaven, that's what we want, God. Oh, Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. If somebody would praise God like I just talked about because he deserves it. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done in our life, God. We shouldn't be here today, but we are, God. We shouldn't have woken up this morning, but we woke up and we're in the house of God. We believe in you and what you're going to do today, God, through your word, through praise and worship. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.